Welcome to Women Empower Active, an initiative started by UR Sportswear to empower women to find their own active adventure. I'm your host, Jacqueline Gross. Today we talk with Cami Tasker. She is an ultra runner. She is a skier. She's a snowshoer. She is an adventurer. And she also fights hard for combat vets to receive the medical care they need. I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Thank you for doing this. Um, I wanted to start with kind of like how you started and became like active, an active person and like what sports were you like inspired by? All right. So beginning with, I, I just always grew up being an athlete. Um, I think I started very young at, at soccer and ballet and gymnastics. So probably like four years old for all those. Wow. And then I just kind of perfected soccer, I guess, if you will, and stuck with that. Um, and went to private school, so there really wasn't sports offered. So I did outside soccer um, with like just the community, and then ended up getting scouted at a young age doing soccer, and was on an elite program um, for probably like ten years. But I played about like eight or ten years ahead of where I was, so I was always like the baby on the team, which was kind of hard because I was just a little kid. But like I just loved soccer, and I was. Pretty good at it. My dad uh, was my coach for a long time, um, just kind of on the side. And uh, very structured militant. He's an ex-FBI agent. He mainly coached my brother, but just uh, along the way again, like uh, because I was an athlete, he kind of just stuck by me and was like, this is how you do it. And that was just kind of like I succeeded most in soccer. So I kind of gave up the other sports because I was doing just regular like uh, community gymnastics I quit ballet when I was young because I was better at gymnastics and soccer and then I was doing elite programs as well like on teams so I was traveling the state at a young age probably seven to like 14 and programs around the state for gymnastics and soccer and I kind of had to choose one when I got into high school because it was like you need to focus and then also got into basketball and fast pitch um I was in private schools my whole life until high school so it was the first time I could actually be in sports of all kinds um, but soccer was kind of my main thing because I've been doing it my whole life. And then I played in college and then joined the military. And that was a very structured environment as well. And played in soccer, got into the military and was pretty athletic with the military. So succeeded because of that level. And then ended up getting shipped to Iraq with an infantry unit out of the blue, which was kind of crazy. And got injured and came home and needed some kind of outlet. I just started going out on the trails and like walking. And I would then hike and then I would start jogging and then start running. And it was kind of like my whole body needed to be put back together after my accident. Can you go back to the accident and kind of like describe what happened? What it was, was my Humvee caught on fire on a mission. And I was trapped inside and, and I couldn't get out. I, my vehicle was on fire. And uh, my door, the combat lock is like a suction that you push down so you, mm-hmm. you lock the door and then you push the suction cup down that you know keeps the door sucked on so if you get hit by an IED a bomb um your door doesn't blow off right mm-hmm. well this was stuck shut this combat lock and I had told our chief before we left for our mission that day that the, the vehicle was deadline because the door was an opening and he basically told me to 
shut the F up and get in the vehicle and we'd fix it at Taji, which was about a seven hour drive. And I just had a really bad feeling something bad was really going to happen. And I did what he said. And less than 20 minutes later, this vehicle caught on fire underneath the passenger seat under, which is where the battery is for the vehicle. And I was trapped inside and everyone else evacuated. My gunner hopped out of the gunner's hatch. Our medic hopped out of the back and the two, the passenger who was our staff sergeant on duty, he hopped out and then the other person hopped out of the back and I was just stuck in there fighting for my life to get out and I ended up getting pulled out of the gunner's hatch but I still had the seatbelt on so he was ripping me out. Um, There's like a, a hand pull on the back of your, your armor vest and he was just mm-hmm. pulling me, pulling me. I think that's how I slipped the disc in my spine but busted up both my elbows and my wrists and my spine during that mission and it was just like I didn't get any treatment years like I think it was like four years from my accident before I had my first surgery I've had 15 since then just Mm -hmm. redoing my elbows arms my spine like all of that this is why I'm advocating and I want to keep advocating because Mm -hmm. yeah I I got in just to pay my college tuition back so I got into the military to be an officer and Mm -hmm. do a deployment as an officer I had a Bachelor's of Forensic or a Bachelor's of Criminal Justice when I got in in 2005. And then within a couple of years, I had a Master's of Forensic Psychology, which there gave me a direct commission uh, pin for my officer. And so I decided to do that um, two years in and got transferred a couple uh, from my unit that was an engineering company where I was doing chemical. I was a chemical specialist. It was called NBC at the time, which is nuclear, biological, and chemical. So I got transferred to a medical company in an environmental like officer position. I was waiting for my direct commission pin. And then I was going to go to school when the rest of my my brigade deployed to Iraq. So I would go for six months to Texas and then meet up with them for six months in Iraq. So mm-hmm. that would be my whole year deployed, half in Texas, half to Iraq. Well, at my pinning ceremony... Um, they were they pinned me with my sergeant E five and in the med- the military you're enlisted and your officer run parallel to each other and normally officers are more educated like the people that have gone to college and enlisted are the people that just kind of have a high school degree so that's kind of I mean it's not always true but if you think about it and like technically most people that are enlisted have not had college degrees and most people that are officers have had college degrees so I was trying to go officer and I got pinned enlisted and and they told me I was going to Iraq as an infantryman I was getting in- attached infantry and I was just like what is going on? Like, this mm-hmm. is not why I moved to this medical company. Like, I'm in an environmental officer select, yeah. you know, spot. Like, what's happening? They kept telling me they're going to get me out of it before we deployed. We were going to Fort McCoy, Wisconsin um, to do our pre-mobilization training, which is learning how to be an infantryman for 90 days. And they said, before we pre-mob, we'll get you out of this. You'll be on your way. Da, da, da. Well, the day everybody left, they're like, sorry, you're stuck. You're going. How can you do this? Like we had, I thought the contract, like, how did I get moved? And they said, well, we'll go for your officer when you get home and you've proved yourself. And I was just like, what? I've been in four years. I've proved myself. What do you mean? Yeah. I've been a platoon sergeant as an E4 specialist. So like, I've already been working up three pay grades for the last few years mm-hmm. doing an amazing job as a leader and it was just wild I got shipped off and my whole life went upside down at that point because uh the pay difference is about fifty thousand dollars so I had planned for a year away making eighty thousand dollars technically about that as an enlisted man I only made 34 and I was in combat getting shot at every day not only did I get trauma you know a huge anxiety disorder <laughs> um, I came home and was just in a ton of debt and I lost the house that I was renting to own which is why I went to Iraq was like to come home and buy my house 
and mm-hmm. parenting for six years. And, you know, it's just like everything went upside down when I came home and I ended up having to give up my home and put everything in storage. And I lived out of my car essentially for two years um, with a box of medical records trying to get help. And the company I got attached to didn't do my um, my paperwork correctly. You have a line of duty form for every body part that gets injured during combat deployment, any kind of military injury. It was to have a line of duty for every body part. And my medical company, like the, the medical team in my company, let the ball drop and never did any of my line of duty forms. So I came home with tons of medical records showing I'd been treated and got injections and this happened and this happened. But because I didn't have those line of duties, that it wasn't military related. I had to wait about six years after coming home before I found a doctor that would actually take the time. He spent like 12 hours with me and wrote a line of duty for every body part so I could actually get this on the record and get it taken care of because when I came home yeah I didn't I wasn't a part of the VA at all Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to get fixed and the army pretty much shunned me and they're like you weren't there and I mean I had like a lot of things on the wall that where I was and the time limit but my Mm -hmm. my unit or or the the brigade like I don't know what happened but anywhere between the army and the national guard when I was going on off of active duty and coming back onto guard it got all messed up and yeah. they blamed each other the army blamed the guard the guard blamed the army and I'm sitting here going I need medical care like what what am I supposed to do and from what I found out just a couple of years ago somebody covered it up my accident and yeah had to figure out how to survive in life and how to get taken care of uh, without the health care because VA is all I have for the rest of my life now. And that's what people don't know is like, if you're stuck with this system, I can't go out and get another coverage. So if I can't get another coverage, I want to change it. And I want to be the change I wish to see in the world. So Mm -hmm. that's why I'm fighting for that. I'm in the boat where we're stuck here. It's either this Mm -hmm. or Medicare and I'm nowhere near 65. So it doesn't work for me. If I have a bill for 300 bucks, I'm paying 270 of it because of my age. And I can't imagine being an 18 year old, you'd be paying hundred percent. Like how, how is that coverage? It's not, I just am bringing awareness to everything and I want to help people. And then also just change the laws and change the stigma around PTSD. And that's how I became, uh, my nonprofit became running for combat veterans. And it was just a nonprofit basically to share what I'd learned, my knowledge, I guess, and lifestyle change and how I got to where I was in the running community, um, being able to run and place in races. Started getting healthcare funding, meaning running races. Began with a GoFundMe at first, and then when the nonprofit came through a year later, then the donations went to the nonprofit. And so I've got a separate account for that, and essentially it's getting healthcare funds for people that are waiting on the VA and can't pay like a bill. So if somebody's on an MRI to be done and that's holding up their healthcare for a year, will pay that bill for them. They just have to apply. And it's basically, it's pretty easy. It's just a DD-214 form, which is what you get out of the military with. You just have to have honorable discharge and send us your bill and we'll apply and we'll try to help you pay that. So that's kind of what it's been. You said you were like very structured when you were like growing up and um, all throughout adulthood. Like trail running for me specifically was very unstructured because I was a track runner mostly the 800 so it was like really like oh I'm gonna stop my watch and we stop mm-hmm. even though we're gonna be like hiking up this hill like I need to stop my watch because we're not actually running so like the, this is all very very unstructured activity so is like photography so did you find that you were just like really leaning into that after you got out of the military 
I really just love photography in general. And I've always, people have been very kind and they've always said, you take great photos. And I would get hired for just random gigs. And like, yeah, I think it just began like that. And for photography and for running, same thing. Started just running in 2012 with a girlfriend of mine. And we Mm -hmm. did a trail running series called the Bellingham Trail Running Series. It was a a race series of six uh, trail races Mm -hmm. in the Bellingham area. And we both placed in that competition, like third and fourth or something like that. And we're like, okay, let's come back and do it next year. And Mm -hmm. I'd never run before in the mountains. I just kind of tootled around or walked or hiked and then ran down. And I guess that's kind of what running began, how it began for me. And um, just kind of kept doing more and more and pretty much started getting in the best shape of my life to go into my surgery. I thought ultra running was running the whole time. And I'm like, how do they run up like a 7,000 foot mountain, you know, but it's, it's power hiking and power running. And there's not a huge structure to it other than time on your feet. I mean, really it's time on your feet. That's what training is. And it's, you know, if you're going to do ultras, it's time on your feet with weight on your body. It's really not that difficult of a task. As long as you can figure out a program, like, just get into the swing of things and if you get to a level where you don't know like my last race before i technically retired was a 200 mile mountain race at that point because i'd not even run 100 at that point i was like well i should probably you know consult with a coach and just make sure i'm doing the right things and i you know it took me 16 weeks to get ready for that so it wasn't a huge deal to me but i just wanted to make sure I was training the right way and she had me squared away and like everything he gave me helped me to succeed with that race. And it was the Bigfoot 200 in 2019. Then I wow. got eighth, eighth female. So I did awesome and incredible uh, weather. So just to finish that race that year was, <laughs> was incredible in itself. And then to do fairly decent uh, was, uh, I, I felt blown away. I didn't even, I wasn't sure if I would finish something like that, but it was incredible. Yeah. I didn't have any issues other than blisters. It was the best race. Wow. How do you you train for a 200 mile race? Um, Kind of, I mean, you do your normal training for like a 50K and then a 50 Mm -hmm. miler. And then at that point, it's kind of like how much time you put in on, like you said, on your feet with weight every single day. And at the last probably month and a half, I was just spending a lot of time up all day long on my feet with like, like I'd wear a backpack around and go into the grocery store and it'd have some bricks in it. And like, (laughs) it was just like, it was what it was. Time on your feet, moving around, no matter if you're running or going slow. And at that point, I also had an incline treadmill. So I did some overnighters, like doing like 12 hours on on the thing, just climbing. Like it was like a four, 40% grade, I think. So I'd climb for a while and then decline for a while and just watch movies and do overnight type activities. But kind of like staying up on your feet with weight on myself. Wasn't that hard of training. Um, I did spend a lot of time doing the training. Like when I have workouts that were like, we're going to do 7,000 feet today and 20 miles. And then the next day you're going to do four and 10 miles you know it was just right. like it was a lot and then I'd have some time off and then so I mean that part I was very grateful for my coach because I, I never would have thought of all this but I also don't train like everyone else and I do a lot of different activities gym work hit classes um, I'll do deep water running sometimes and I did a lot of heat training
doing, which is hot tub and sauna work, really helps with your cardio, which people don't know. Heat training mm-hmm. is a huge thing to learn. And during that race, we were supposed to be in 100 degree temperatures. We were like yeah. in 40. So I was overtrained for the cardio, but I was freezing the whole time because I was <laughs> planning on heat, right? So that was the weird part was like I was freezing because it rained almost the whole time. But it's just learning how to run the race in the kind of temperatures you're planning for. Kind of how you learn to run to uh, ultra run is just pick the race, the time of year, find out, train for the race you're going to run. Are you, so when you said like the sauna and the hot tub, like are you doing like activities in there or like? It's pretty much your, it's the heat on you. So in the hot or in the like pool or hot tub, you've got like the weight, deep water running, or even just in the hot tub, it like it, it raises your temperature and, and everything. And like, I don't know how it really does it, but your lungs like expand and like easier for you to breathe. When you are running, you don't have that like shock to your system of like heat when you're exposed to high temperatures and um, for a long period of time i've not versed on exactly what it works yeah like mountain races one international re- mountain race in greece uh, also and just just by doing that those two things like extra adding the heat training it's like and deep water running i never would have thought that um it makes you train like you're running mountains and you're not it's weird yeah what's really what is deep water running i haven't heard of that yeah so you put a belt on and some like uh, weights on your ankles and mm-hmm. you can run um I did a lot of ladder training workouts so you like run a minute and you take 30 seconds off and then you run two minutes you take 30 seconds off three minutes and you go up to like 10 minutes maybe 12 minutes and then you turn around and do the backwards so it's like a two or an hour and a half like run in the pool and it equals like a long run like four or five hours on the mountain pretty incredible so I did that when I was coming back from um, my lower body injuries. So I had a couple, I've had now 16 major surgeries and about 90 injection procedures on my back. Mm-hmm. So I was coming back from ankle and hip surgery during that time when I was doing a lot of deep water running. So I didn't have as much pounding on the pavement. Well, I don't really pavement run, but at, on the trails, I wasn't pounding so much. I was doing like half of my time trail running in the pool and then the other half on the trails. And it just like helped me to train the same amount as far as cardio and not fall behind. So it's pretty, it's a pretty incredible uh, way to learn to train. Yeah, I definitely want to try it. I've done aqua jogging, but I've never. Yeah, it's sort of the same. Just all these different kinds of workout. Um, for what I was doing with the long endurance runs, the ladder training is the best workout I found for me um, mm-hmm. just for training out the long workout. But you, there are so many, yes, aqua jogging. If you look into it, there's probably like five or six different workouts you can do for short run days, for speed workouts, all that kind of stuff. For that 200 mile race, what was like the hardest part for you? I think day three, going into the night, um, my feet... <laughs> So it was supposed to be like 90 plus degrees and really dry and warm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's around Mount St. Helens um, during uh, August. So it's supposed to be a really hot race, right? And like the heavens opened up the first night and we had snow and hail and rain and wind and it was freezing and we had like three whole days of rain, Mm -hmm. which is unheard of. And it was like 40 degrees and we were planning for like, you know, 90s, 100 and I'd done heat training. So I was just freezing and... What it was, was my blisters. Like I'd never had more than one. And that was at boot camp. I had one blister in boot camp. <laughs> so I had probably like 15 or to 30 on each foot. Like they were on top of me. Like the heel had a huge one the first night, a second one growing over it. And the third night, a third one. 
-hmm. and like every toe in between every crevice underneath Mm -hmm. I mean I had so many blisters and you can't like pop them because I've been infected so Mm -hmm. every aid station they would just wrap more tape on it and stuff so like literally every step on night three Mm -hmm. and I was doing a lot of downhill that night like probably like 8,000 feet of downhill yeah and every step going downhill my heels are the last thing to hit and that's where all the huge blisters were so I think that third night was like the hardest I had one of my girlfriends Natalia with me and I was just like I was going down the mountains backwards with my poles like oh my, <laughs> my lucky poles just like crying and she's like you can do this and I had contemplated and actually dropping because my feet felt like I was stepping on razor blades every step. It was so painful, but yeah. nothing else hurt the entire race, not at all. So just getting through that night and that massive downhill, that third night was the hardest and mentally. And my friend Natalia helped me get through that because I was like, that was my lowest for sure. After I popped through that day and got like a 15 minute power nap after that section of trail, I was just like, oh here we are again we're done and then like fourth day it was sunny and gorgeous and that was like the finale it was like yes I did it I think I finished that in like 86 hours and 43 minutes which I mean I I really could have finished that like 10 or 12 hours sooner maybe more than that but just like that first night every time I tried to leave the aid station a new storm would start and it was like torrential downpour and everybody was like no like I think that first night over half the people dropped from both this I think there was a 60 miler or 60k 60 so it was like I think a 40 miler and then there was the 200 and I think half of the people dropped for for the 200 that night like or at least a good probably close to half (laughs) because it was I mean the storm was incredible like the heavens just opened up like I, I don't know how to explain it if you weren't there the people like our crew couldn't even get to us the roads were so bad yeah, so like I didn't even see my crew or get any of my food for like a day and a half because like they couldn't get to me. I was starving because I was like trying to eat really healthy. I have an autoimmune disease, so I have to be careful with gluten and dairy. And like mm-hmm. at the aid stations, I didn't have much I could eat. So I had like two huge coolers of my own food and then two two crew, like sets of crew. And I didn't see any of them for like a day and a half. So I was just starving at one point. I managed, I think every time I was at the aid station, I ate hot dogs and mustard and I never ever eat mustard ever like I just had something I was craving it was so weird yeah (laughs) (laughs) I probably ate like 30 hot dogs that whole race it was like that's what I want I'd be eating one and like my crew would be like what do you want I'm like will you get me another hot dog they're like you have one in your hand and I'd be like one bite they're like I'll get you another one Yeah, it's probably that salt. And then, like, mustard's good for cramps, too, right? So I don't know. My body, like, the thing with being clean green is, like, your body craves what you want, like, Mm -hmm. what it needs, I mean. Yeah. And, and, like, I'll eat things I've never liked or eaten. Like, I never eat potato chips. And, like, potato chips um, that are, like, salt and vinegar, Mm -hmm. I crave those. Like, just, like, I never touch them in real life. But just, like, exactly. It's, like, Mm -hmm. what your body craves as far as salt and, like, I love pickles and like pickle juice I'm always like can you give me a couple pickle juice like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so random but that's what I like when I'm running I don't know the thing is is like the cars couldn't get to you you're like I'm running to this (laughs) and cars can't get to me like I'm tougher than cars right now like yeah I I was that first night I was when the storm hit I was at the bottom of Mount Margaret which was our our huge climb that's when the storm hit was right 
right at the section when you're entering going up Mount Margaret. Yeah. So we were climbing this in hail and snow and um, torrential downpour and lightning, wow. trying to figure out if they should stop the race. It was like, we have lightning and a gal like almost got hit and got thrown off a mountain and they had to find her. Like it was a wild night and like, it wasn't going to go out alone. And I, kept, I went to go three times and I kept every time I'd get everything on, I'd go out and it would just and blow me back in. And I'm like, I'm not going. And finally the third time I went to try these two gentlemen were in the tent where I was trying to nap. And we all got up at the same time. I'm like, are you going out there? They're like, yeah. And I was like, can I go with you? I'm scared. And I like can't believe my A asked, B said that, and C they said, yeah, come along. And these guys ended up being my like trail angels the entire race. Every mm -hmm. time my crew wasn't with me or like I we couldn't get to each other, I'd turn around and they'd be coming into the aid station or they'd be getting ready to leave right when I was. And mm -hmm. every single time I didn't have my crew, these two gentlemen, it was like my my angels. And I became so close with them and we spent the whole four days together. And a, a guy named Rob as well, Rob Stay. Rob, um, Mike DeRitter, and James DeLorme, we just became this tight-knit little group, and we ran a lot of the race together. It was pretty incredible. Made some amazing friends for life. Like, very cool. Yeah, I love, I love like, trail racing in that way, because it's, like, so, yeah. it's such a good community. R like, running track or, like, running cross-country, it's just nothing like doing, like, trail races. People yeah. are just so kind. They're like, oh, do you need a goo, like, or, like, nutrition or something like that? Are you okay? Like, you, during the race, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. I have stuff. Like, you know, like, yeah. Such a great community. It is. You make the best friends. And I mean, yeah. everybody has a story and everybody's there for a reason. And when you're on a long race like that, you've got time to find mm -hmm. out who everybody is. And I right. think that's what makes it such a great community is, again, everybody has a story and they're doing this for their own personal reason. Mm -hmm. And it's just like getting to know everybody and learning why you're actually here. It was an awesome experience all around. I'm so glad I did it. What got you to that point where you're like, I'm not going to stop running? I've been that way since I was born. I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't give up. And like my family, just as structured as it was, like giving up was never an option. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. allowed. <laughs> and yeah. I really believe that. I know you have struggled with mental health. What are some things that you do to kind of like manage that? Even if I'm having a really rough day, I try to get outside for at least 15 minutes. Um, an hour is ideal. Just spend some time outside, whether it's gardening, mowing the lawn, going for a walk, going for a bike ride. Um, even just spending time with a friend at the beach. Like you don't have to walk. You don't have to be super active. Just getting outside and taking some breaths of fresh air. Mm -hmm. I also found that I had a really hard time like learning how to breathe, doing any kind of breath work. I think it made me kind of like panic a bit because my PTSD is around like being in a vehicle and being claustrophobic. For me, breath work was hard and I got into doing yoga. And during the pandemic, uh, I also added that to my nonprofit. Um, I want to teach trauma-informed yoga to people in general, anyone that's been traumatized. I think breathwork helps a lot. Yeah, I think moving and breathwork is the best thing ever, no matter how you're doing it. So mm -hmm. just getting some time outside and learning how to breathe and, yeah, taking time for yourself. Also, the biggest thing is eating healthy. And I know a lot of people don't think they have any kind of common denominator, but what you're putting in your body is making you feel the way you feel. Eating healthy, getting some time outdoors and breathing, breath work, movement of the, the body flowing. Um, lots of resources out there. I can help out anybody who wants to email me. So it's kind of what you're interested in, but I would just say healthy uh, movement and healthy eating is like the main 
starter for anyone to like change how you're feeling and how your body feels. Can you talk a little bit more about trauma-informed yoga? Like how is that different than yoga we're familiar with? So I learned, I went through a yoga teacher training program during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and um, did one course in TCTSY, which is the trauma-informed training. And I'd like to eventually get more under my belt. So a lot of positions in yoga, I think people get challenged because like even the downward dog, you've got your booty in the air, you know? It's it's like a lot of people that have been victimized are not comfortable with those positions, especially if there's like a male or female behind them. It's of a different gender. More or less the way you're speaking to your your group. Um, You're using more safe words and I guess intentional about your wording Mm-hmm. And about how, like, you're going to talk to everybody ahead of your class to understand, like, kind of where their traumas are and what, what their triggers are. Mm-hmm. And you're being more mindful about that. So it's just a different way of speaking that helps everyone feel safe and <laughs> in their environment and still enjoy the practice and, and feel like coming back and not feeling like they're outcasted because they can't move like this or don't feel comfortable moving like that's really cool. I actually went to a yoga class in Texas and they had these like little chips that you could put on your yoga mat if you didn't want somebody to touch you. Yes. And I thought that I, that was the first time I actually saw that. I was like, that is such a good idea. Yeah. Um, and that's it. They're in charge yeah. of their own practice. That, I mean, that kind of goes into our final question, which is like um, words of empowerment that you would give our listeners, uh, whether it be to yourself when you're younger or to somebody else, your friend, your sister your coworker, whatever yeah I say empower yourself you are your own best friend through your whole life you have to get a great relationship with yourself I think the biggest thing is life is like exposing every truth that you may be hiding whether you're scared of telling people the truth or whatever you have to be very honest with yourself and know who you are and make that relationship with yourself number one in the world like that you have to because every other relationship follows the one you have with yourself so um that's number one and then lifestyle like healthy healthy lifestyle just movement every day and eating healthy and like it will change your life I mean really really well and 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 yeah just staying positive and knowing you can get through anything you just have to put your mind to it and and know you can do it and and it's the relationship you have with yourself it's it's number one it's key to everything else you've got going do you have any you said your website earlier but any other plugs go ahead got running for combat veterans.org and that's our website and then we've got a social media um facebook and uh instagram so it's also running for combat veterans on facebook and then instagram is just my name which is cammy tasker it's spelled by came last name tasker but it's all mm-hmm. together cammy task and then when you go on it it'll say running for combat veterans that's awesome um is there anything like if anybody wants to help like what could they what could they do to help uh help or ask for help that's a great, that's a, a good, another good one. Um, yeah. So if they want to ask for help or if people want to support you, support, um, okay. you know, running for combat veterans, what could they, what would be the biggest thing that could help yeah. you? Yeah. So we have, uh, 
CrowdRise, well, when I started, it was called CrowdRise, and now it's gone back to GoFundMe is the platform for a 501c3 nonprofit. So mm -hmm. we are a, a nonprofit. We do have an EIN number. Everything's on our webpage. Um, I guess just donating for veterans that are applying for medical care. With the pandemic hitting, um, a lot of people lost funding, and I did too. I ended up having to do a move and shutting down my office and my PO box. So it's just kind of like I'm still transitioning, trying to figure out where I'm going with the nonprofit, but my goals mm -hmm. are still the same. And the ultimate goal is getting into DC and changing the healthcare system as far as reforming the laws. And then if you're looking for help with a bill, um, there's uh, paperwork on our webpage. You can either fill it out online and email it back or scan it and email it back and, and apply. And basically you just send a DD-214, you send the bill and you ask for help. Um, anybody has any anything to share uh, with us or with myself or any ideas or how to connect with anybody doing what we're trying to do, which is get into Washington and to help effectively change the VA system and to give veterans faster healthcare that actually works mm -hmm. um, in a timely fashion where there aren't all these delays. And then, yeah, just any kind of resources for veterans, I'd say reach out. There's, yeah, contact us. Uh, we have... A Gmail account that's also running for combatveterans.org at gmail.com. So there's ways to connect, and we'd be super grateful to hear any anything that comes our way. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Cami. I appreciate you. you. I appreciate you. your time. You too. <laughs> so great Thanks. to meet you. <laughs> you too. Thanks so much. You can follow me personally at Jacqueline Gross. That's J A C A L Y N G R O S S to check out any of my adventures that I've been going on, long run photos mostly. Um, you can follow UR Sportswear, that's the letter U, the letter R, Sportswear. And if you wanna check out any of our products, go to URSportswear.com. Thank you for listening.